Salutations. Welcome, everybody. Keyboard tomorrow. I'm Spencer Cut, your friendly neighborhood, Spencer Man. It is Wednesday, August 23rd. That means it's time for one question for every fight for UFC Singapore. Brought to you by One Bone. New drop today. Drop 17. Four new colors in the scoop and V-neck. Some new, some new pants. It's it's getting to the point that really truthfully, my entire wardrobe is one bone gear, save for this toque that I know Sam is going to give me shit about. But it's such good stuff. You got to go check it out. If you do ESK20 at checkout for 20% off your order. Let's get the rest of the, the end of the show things out of the way now. QR code if you are watching on YouTube. Scan that. It takes you to Keyboard Kimura. You can sign up for the Substack newsletter there. $0, $5 a month, $50 for the year. It helps me put out more of this content, build out this studio, add dope stuff like that Bua behind me. Shout out to Justin Bua. Appreciate you, my guy. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Spencer Kite. Let's get to it. UFC Singapore taking place bright and early this morning. It is one of, if you are in Canada, those shows that airs exclusively on UFC Fight Pass. Thank you to Aaron Bronstetter for reminding me of that and allowing all of us to know that on a Wednesday morning, as opposed to me scurrying about on Sunday morning when I've just risen from my slumber to recap these fights. It is a terrific fight card. I honestly think this is a fantastic main card with some intriguing fights on the prelims. I think it is getting a little bit underrepresented, but we're going to hopefully ratchet up the excitement, ratchet up the intrigue, Starting right about now. Main event, Max Holloway versus Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie. My question is, how do we book book Max Holloway after this? So I have a column coming out on Friday at OSDB Sports talking about exactly this. It is titled The Max Holloway Dilemma because I think, as most people do, that Max is in a weird spot right now. And the UFC is in a difficult position with Max Holloway. The quick version He's 0-3 against reigning champ Alexander Volkanovsky. He obviously wants another kick at the can. He wants another championship opportunity. Generally speaking, in order to do that, you have to go through top contenders, which he has done previously, right? In between the second and third fights, he went through Calvin Cater and Yair Rodriguez. And then since the third fight, he's already fought and defeated Arnold Allen. But to me and to many others, I think, The idea of Max Holloway constantly picking off up-and-coming talents just doesn't feel like it makes sense because he is 0-3 against the champ. And as as long as Volkanovski sits atop this division, I don't know that you can actually run Max Holloway into another championship opportunity unless he gets to four, five, six, seven victories since that third fight. And it doesn't help Max's case that the third fight was the clearest, most decisive of the fights. Volkanovski distanced himself from Max in that third fight, which is a statement on how good Alexander Volkanovski is, given how close the second fight was. The challenging thing, and and it takes away a little bit from this fight, and, and it doesn't necessarily, this fight I should say, doesn't necessarily pertain, because I think Chan Sung Jung is outside of that contender class now. He hasn't fought since his loss to Alexander Volkanovsky in April of 2022. He is 36 years old, generally considered, I would say, I feel safe saying, to be on the backside of his career. He started focusing on coaching more. 
and building out his team, Korean Zombie MMA. We've seen a number of, of athletes from his gym, from his squad, on the road to the UFC, now joining the UFC roster. So I think he's starting to build out the exit plan and move on to other things. But if Max gets a victory on Saturday, which most of us assume he will do, it feels like we're in this position that we got to make a decision one way or the other. Do we put him back into a championship opportunity? Is it a thing where we can keep booking him into fights with Volkanovsky, even though he's down 0-3 and say, look, let's just make it a best of four. Or do we continue to book him in fights of this nature? where he's facing guys that are just outside of the title picture, a little bit older, a little bit more established, still fun, entertaining fights. Names that come to mind are guys like Edson Barbosa, for example. Or do we book him against these top contenders and do the Robert Whitaker at middleweight thing, do the gauntlet where all of these young emerging talents have to go through Max Holloway in order to justify their place as a contender in this division? You know my feelings on it. You know my stance on it. I hate that approach and say so in the piece coming out on Friday. have said so here many, many times over. I don't like seeing everyone have to go through the silver medalist or the second in command in order to get to the top. At middleweight, we saw it diminish the value or diminish the contender standing of guys like Darren Till, of Jared Cannonier, of Calvin Gastelum. It has reduced Marvin Vittori a little bit since his second fight with Israel Adesanya because Rob went out and beat him handily. That sort of sets the bar or sets the ceiling for Marvin Vittori at number three in the division. It's now probably number four as he's lost to Jared Cannonier. I don't need that at featherweight. I don't want that in any division. I don't want to see Ilya Tapuria booked against Max Holloway because Ilya Tapuria, like Arnold Allen before him, has done enough to merit a championship opportunity. Now, this extends well beyond just Max, and I will certainly have to sit down one of these days and put together a full podcast on it, talking about not just this division, but the larger overall picture, the larger overall matchmaking approach for the UFC and some things I would do to fix it up. Maybe that'll come on Monday. We'll see. It's going to be a busy weekend here, but we'll try. We'll we'll bookmark that one for future Keyboard Kamara podcast. But to me, it's fights like this for right now, that make the most sense for Max Holloway. If I'm Sean Shelby, I'm McMaynard, I'm in charge of setting this up. These are the kinds of fights I look to make. Now, maybe that means another matchup with Brian Ortega somewhere down the road. I would certainly be interested in that. Giga Chikadze, who is also on this fight card, if he gets a victory, that's a fight I would be interested in seeing. Alex Caceres, if he wins that Giga Chikadze fight, that would make a lot of sense to me. I don't know that those appeal to Max But unfortunately for him, he's in a position at featherweight, even as a former champion with all the respect that he commands and carries, that he's kind of just got to take what's offered to him. He can't really just come out here and stump for facing Ilya Tapuria or Mavsari Vloyev or another one of these ascending talents that hasn't faced top competition yet, but is working forward. The last thing the UFC should be looking to do is cut down one of these up-and-coming fighters, especially given that it feels like Alexander Volkanovsky isn't that much longer for this division. Right now, he's here. Max is 0-3 against him. And I think you've got to keep him away from some of these emerging talents. 
Fights like this one on Saturday make the most sense to me. Please check out the piece on OSDB Sports when it goes live on Friday. Follow me on Twitter to Twitter and Instagram to see it. I will send it out, of course. But it's interesting. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see how the UFC books him and what Max agrees to going forward. Co-main event on Saturday, Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann. My question is what Anthony Smith turns up. So the first time these two fought, we get a pissed off Anthony Smith. And he finished Ryan Spann, Ryan Spann in round one. Ryan Spann picked him up with a back waist lock and carried him across the cage to deposit him in front of his coach, Safe Saud. And you can see, go back and watch it on Fight Pass. When Ryan Spann lifts Anthony Smith in the air, the look on Anthony Smith's face essentially says, you're going to fucking pay for this. And then he did. UFC 277 against Magomed Ankalaev. He busts up his ankle, so that fight ends in the second round. It ends in a stoppage, but has as much to do with Smith's injury as it does Ankalaev being dominant. And then earlier this year against Johnny Walker, he couldn't pull the trigger. He looked disengaged. He came out of the fight talking about retirement and unsure of what he was going to do, which sends him to Singapore as just a giant question mark. I think he's still capable of being a solid veteran in the top 10 in the light heavyweight division. One, it's a shallow division. Two, he's a former title challenger. We've seen him beat some of that second 15 set in this division or lower third of the ranking set in this division. So I think there is still utility to him being in that position. But Saturday is going to tell us a lot about where Anthony Smith is at now and what the future may hold. I don't think he is somebody that is going to be fighting for three, four, five more years. He's already got the next stage of things in the works and, and working for him as an analyst on the desk, doing work for the UFC and for ESPN. That's where he's going to go. This fight could tell us how quickly he transitions into that role full time. I think he can beat Ryan Spann. We've obviously seen it and it wasn't that long ago. It was two years ago that he beat Ryan Spann. Just under two years ago, in fact, that he beat Ryan Spann. If he does it again on Saturday in Singapore, he continues forward. If he doesn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see him actually hang him up and walk away. Move to the featherweight division, Giga Chikadze and Alex Caceres, as I mentioned earlier. My question here is, what are we going to get from Giga Chikadze? He turns 35 on Friday. Happy birthday, Giga. Hasn't fought since January 2022 when he got boxed up by Calvin Cater. He went into that fight talking about, I win this and then I'm fighting the champ and I'm a bad matchup for the champ. And Calvin Cater walked out and was like, yeah, but you haven't beaten me yet and, and you're not going to beat me. And pieced him up and battered him up and it was a one-sided decision in my opinion. And he looked great. We haven't seen him since. Historically, these are the kinds of fights that he wins. A lower third guy, a guy that he can outstrike, a guy that in theory will be willing to stand and strike with him. But he's been out for more than 18 months. And Alex Caceres is in real good form right now, coming off the win over Daniel Pineda, but overall on a larger scale, over his last seven or eight fights, has really found himself, has really felt like he's grown into that guy we always sort of envisioned as the full upside of him from way back in the Ultimate Fighter days. This is an interest, this similar to the Ryan, Ryan Span Anthony Smith fight. This is super interesting to me because Giga was on a really great run. He had a couple of good wins in there over Cub Swanson and Edson Barbosa. He was, in fact, on the cusp 
of title contention. But that was a year and a half ago. And prior to the first loss in the UFC, where getting through that last set of guys to get to that championship opportunity is the hardest part of all of this. And so far, he's 0 for 1. Beating Alex Caceres puts him back in a position to maybe get another one of those fights. I honestly think if he wins and Max wins, that's a great fight to make because if Giga can then go out and beat Max, then you have a title contender. But we don't know. And until we see it on, on Saturday, until we see him in the octagon and see what he can do, it's impossible to say where he's at. And it's why I love this so much. Alex Caceres has looked really good. Giga looked good prior to the loss to Calvin Cater. See what he looks like on Saturday. Move to the bantamweight division. Rinya Nakamura versus Fernie Garcia. My question is how quickly can Nakamura climb the ranks? Bantamweight is absolutely on fire and changing. Sean O'Malley won the title last week. We have two other main card fights in that division. It's been a month featuring a lot of bantamweight action, as I wrote about at the start of the month on OSDB Sports. We had the Corey Sanhagen-Rob Font fight. We've had a bunch of different bantamweights competing this month. Rinya Nakamura is the last of them for me on Saturday in Singapore. 28 years old. A little bit older than most up-and-comers. 7-0 as a pro. Six finishes. Five in the first round. Only turned pro a little over two years ago. Former under-23 world champion in freestyle wrestling. Dominated the competition in the road to UFC last year to get to this point. He feels to me because of the skill set, because of the foundations, like somebody that if he wins on Saturday, you can drop him in a little bit further up than maybe you would most athletes that have two wins in the UFC and are moving forward in the, in the toughest division, deepest division in the sport. He feels like one of those guys that it's not necessarily the Abbas Magomedov, that group of they're older, they're, past 30 let's just find out now there's no need to slow play them but it's a little bit further ahead than say someone like natalia silva who fought last weekend and got another victory where she's matriculating up the ranks step by step i feel like we could maybe skip a step or two with rinya nakamura if he goes out and gets a win over fernie garcia fortis mma representative owen two in the ufc thus far out wrestled in both of those fights feels like this is a setup for Rinya Nakamura to get a big win. Fernie Garcia is not going to go away easy. I talked to him before this fight. He's well aware of, of what the positioning of this fight is and how this is being set up. He wants to go out and spoil those plans. But if he cannot, if Nakamura continues his unbeaten run, do maybe just drop him in there with Saeed Nurmagomedov next? Find out what Cody Stamen's doing. Douglas Silva, Dion Draj, somebody in that range, right? Somebody just outside the top 15 that if he goes out and dominates them, then we've got a guy, another guy, that we can insert into the top 15 mix and see where they go from there. Continuing on on the main card, Aaron Blanchfield versus Tyler Santos. My question is, the winner gets next, right? Like, this has to be a title eliminator. This can't be one of those fights where we're just doing it and then they've still got to do more. I will clarify and state that maybe we do a trilogy of Valentina Shevchenko wins the title back in three weeks in her rematch with Alexa Grasso. But for me, 
personally. Grasso winning and then losing the belt in her first title defense feels like we don't really need to run back a third fight right away. Somewhere down the line, maybe, sure, fine. But it doesn't feel like we need to do three straight between these two women. And so for me, the winner of this, especially if it's dominant, but even regardless, if it's close, should be next in line. Aaron Blanchfield is on an absolute tear. Unbeaten in the UFC. Lengthy winning streak overall. Coming off a second round submission win over Jessica Andrade in a fight that was supposed to be against Tyler Santos and in a main event at that. Santos' last fight was against Shevchenko for the title where she ran level with the champ until that clash of heads. She was ahead on a bunch of cards. She won on one of the cards. It's hard to discount her if she goes out and beats Aaron Blanchfield, stops this run, and then can look in the in the camera, get on the microphone, and have Fabiano Busquet declare for her, I want next. I really, really wish this was the main event. Or a main event, I should say. Not necessarily the main event here, because obviously I understand Max Holloway, Chan Sung Jung, the reasons it is the main event here. But I really wish this was a main event somewhere. These are the kinds of fights that should be headlined. This is a title eliminator. It has to be. There's nothing else that either of these women can do after this fight. If they're victorious, when they're vict whoever wins this fight, there's nothing more for them to do. Like, what do they do? Fight backwards to further solidify their place at the top of the division? This is where we need to do the moving forward. This is all going to be part of, I'm really going to have to podcast on Monday about matchmaking. God damn it. All right, we'll start taking full-on notes. We'll start writing all of this down. Let me just say, this should be a main event. It should be a fight that more and more people should be talking about. Yes, the UFC could be doing more to push it. So too could media. Doesn't all fall. I know that they are the promoter. I agree with you that they are the promoter and that they should do more. We as media people with these things, these microphones in front of us can go out and talk about these fights more as well. Great fight. Can't wait to see it. Absolutely stoked for this one. Final fight of the main card, Junior Taffa versus Parker Porter. My question is, how can you not root for Parker Porter? So I'm certainly biased. I wrote a story on Parker Porter this week on the UFC website. It is up now. It was great to talk to him. To me, his story is amazing. 38-year-old guy that competes on the regional scene, the New England regional scene, for over a decade. Just grinding it out, hoping to get a call. Not sure he's ever going to get a call. Took a couple long breaks at different points of multiple years, but still came back to me. And, and I said this to him and, and we talked about it. If you are old enough to remember the Disney movie, the rookie starring Dennis Quaid, playing a guy named Jimmy Morris, a left-hander that blew out his shoulder at one point was a pitcher, but then is coaching high school ball. And it turns out he can still, still sling it, can still run it up there at 98 and eventually gets an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time, now Rays, ends up hanging out for a couple of years. The story is about him working his way there. Parker Porter feels a little bit like that to me for MMA. He's 4-2 in the UFC since his short notice debut loss against Chris Dawkins. One of those losses is to jail Tin Almeida. And so like that one, you just, that that's one you can't do anything about. He and I had a good laugh about it of like, yeah, everybody loses to this guy. He might be the best heavyweight in the UFC right now. We're going to find out a little more in a couple of weeks here when he faces Curtis Blades. You kind of give him a pass on that. So the interesting thing, the added wrinkle to this 
is that the other loss came in February in Australia to Junior Taffa's older brother, Justin, who knocked him out in the first round. So he's facing his second Taffa of 2023. He's a guy that has kept grinding, kept chasing, and now he's having some success. He's already in the record books for most significant strikes combined in a three-round heavyweight fight. Did that with Chase Sherman. It's just amazing. These are the kinds of stories that get me excited. I loved writing it. I loved talking to him about it. It's the stuff to me that we need to highlight and share more and more because what a cool story, right? And one of the through lines that he and I talked about in it is what he's able to show. He has twin 10-year-old boys and, and a three-year-old son. What is he able to show his kids now about perseverance and determination and hard work? and chasing the things that you that you really believe and you really want and you really are passionate about. Firsthand, they get to see all that goes into it too. And that was one of the things he said. This isn't them just watching somebody on TV or watching somebody on Instagram or TikTok, watching on social media where all they see is the good. They're seeing the difficult of what it takes to get to this level. And that's just their dad fighting in the UFC, which is the highest level. Absolutely. But he's not up in that championship mix yet. He's probably not getting there at 38, but he's out there competing at the highest level and they see what it takes and they get that role model at home. They get that modeling at home. It's an amazing story to me. I'm happy that he is having this success. Happy that he is having his moment in the UFC. We'll see if he can get a measure of revenge on the Taffa family this weekend in Singapore. Regardless of if it does or not, we need to tell more stories like the one Parker Porter is crafting inside the Octagon right now. It's one question for every fight for UFC Singapore on Keyboard Kimura brought to you by One Bone. We move to the prelims. We stay in the heavyweight division. Waldo Cortez Acosta versus Lucas Dreschke. My question is, can Cortez Acosta Show something more. So Salsa Boy is 9-1 and one at overall, 2-1 and one in the UFC. But the wins are over Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman. And I know that sounds dickish to say, but the wins are. But like Jared Vandera got one win in seven starts in the UFC and Chase Sherman didn't do much better. So we got to take that record where the big old salt lick. He was in way too deep against Marcos Rogerio de Lima last time out which also says something because Pezao is not quite in that upper tier. He's 31. He's only been fighting MMA for two years. So willing to give him some grace, willing to give him some time to see some evolution, to see some improvements. But now's when you got to start showing it. Lucas Dreschke is 0-2 in the UFC, coming off losses to Martin Budai and Carl Williams in fights where he looked exhausted relatively quickly. So I'm not sure what a lengthy flight to Singapore is going to do for his gas tank. There's always room for mid-pack heavyweights, right? These are the guys that we joked about last year when I was on Severe, earlier this year when I was on Severe, about that pack of fighters that always ends up in the middle of the main card of fight cards like this. Thankfully, these guys are on the prelims, not the main card. But there's always room for a guy like this if you can win enough fights to stick around. But you got to show something. There's a little bit of, we've seen a little flash of some positives, right? A little bit of good boxing, a little bit of good movement, a little bit of athleticism there. 
Now let's see if he can take it forward another step. Let's see if he can add to it, build on it, get back in the win column, get moving forward and give us a reason to be excited for what comes next. Move to the bantamweight division, Toshioma Kazama versus Garrett Armfield. My question is, can Armfield pull an Onama? So he debuted up a division against David Onama, much as David Onama did against Mason Jones. Certainly he was undersized for 45, not his natural weight class, but he had a reasonable showing on zero notice. He took the fight on a Monday morning, I believe, or a Tuesday morning, and then fought on Saturday. So certainly a difficult assignment against the guy that he fought on the amateur scene, against the guy that he had trained with plenty in the past. So a real difficult assignment. He ends up losing in the second round, but showed some okay moments at times. He's finally back down to his natural weight class of 135. Takes on Kazama, who was in the all sorry, the road to UFC finale against Rinya Nakamura. He hunts finishes. He's an aggressive fighter. So there should be openings for Garrett Armfield to go out and have that performance. This is another one of those situations. Onama was one of those guys. Christian Rodriguez was another one of those guys. Debuts up a division, looks good, but doesn't get a win. And we sit around waiting to see them when they go back to their natural weight class. Onama won in his first fight back at featherweight against Mowgli Benitez. C-Rod debuted against Jonathan Pierce, gave him a hard fight, goes back to bantamweight, undefeated since going back. Now Armfield gets the opportunity. Really looking forward to see how this one plays out. Move to middleweight. Chidi and Jokowani versus Mihao Olishechuk. My question is, are you ready for a fist fight? This is this week's fight where there's no stakes. There's no drama to it. There's no anything other than two solid middleweights that are going to look to stand up and beat the holy hell out of each other. And I am all the way here for it. I am all in on this fight. Love watching Chidi and Jokowani fight. Love watching Mihao Oli Shechuk fight. Put them together. Love this fight. I There's nothing more to say. This should be good, clean, violent fun. I like all of those things. On a Saturday morning, when it's still pitch black out, let's go. What? We talk about this every week. Not every fight has to have championship stakes and big ramifications and big drama attached to it. Sometimes it's just two professional fighters going out there to fight one another. And that's what these dudes are going to do. Neither is going to look to wrestle. They're both coming off setbacks, so you know they want to go out there and right the ship and get moving in the right direction again. Oli Shechuk bangs body shots like nobody's business, and I love it. Chidi and Jokowani throws crazy elbows and smashes folks with elbows. Go check out the one against Marc-Andre Barrio. Go check out the one after that against Dushko Todorovic. Both amazing. This should be just, just violent fun on a bright and early Saturday morning. Love it. Doesn't need any anything more. Doesn't need to be anything more. Let's go. Move to welterweight. Song Kinan versus Rolando Bedoya. My question is, what can Bedoya do for an encore? So the Peruvian fighter had a very good showing against Chaos Williams earlier this year. To me, he won the fight. Lost the split decision officially, but I thought he did enough to win the fight. And I was all the way wrong on him going into that fight. I'm thoroughly impressed by what he did against Chaos Williams, who, for whatever shortcomings he has in terms of execution, he is a dynamic athlete with massive power that we have seen on display in the octagon. And Bedoya just rolled in and was like, 
Yeah, no stress. I'm good here. Let's go. Let's have some fun. 14 and two overall, 26 years old, looks like a good prospect in the welterweight division. Song Kidon is a good measuring stick. Fought Ian Gary earlier this year. We know how that fight went. Dropped him in the first round. Loses in the third by stoppage. Second straight stoppage loss for the Chinese veteran. And so it's not going to be a same, same. It's not apples to apples. But we get that measurement, right? We get that understanding of this is how Ian Gary did against him. Let's see how Bedoya does against him and get some gauges of where this guy stands, how this guy looks. It could be a situation where he rolled into the fight with Chaos Williams thinking, I got nothing to lose. This is all upside for me. And he fights really relaxed and no stress and, and away he goes. And now that people are paying attention and he's a massive favorite in this fight against the guy that just dropped Ian Gary earlier this year, maybe it changes. And so I just want to kick back and watch this fight, see how it plays out. Was very intrigued by Bedoya after his debut showing. Let's see what he does in his sophomore appearance. Battle of Dana White Contender Series graduates in the welterweight division, Billy Goff versus Yusaku Kinoshita. My question is who shows more on Saturday? Similarly to the Njokuwani Olishechuk fight, this is one of those ones where it's just sit back and see. Just sit back and watch and see what these guys have to do. First appearance for Billy Goff. Second appearance for Kinoshita. Goff is, to me, a get tagged and rally kind of guy in his contender series fight. He ate a head kick from Shimon Smotrisky right out of the gate and had to rally back and still got a first round finish. So props to him for eating that kick, persevering, and still punching out a victory. Kinoshida just turned 23, was stopped by Adam Fugit in his debut the end of last year, late last year, maybe early this year. I can't remember specifically my apologies for not having the data 100% correct. But these are just two young fighters, right? 23 and 25, early stages. This is all about growth since the last appearance. Let's just see what they can do. Contender series, as I talk about all the time, certainly delivering talent. We just had our second champion from the contender series crowned last weekend in Sean O'Malley. Let's see if either of these guys can become rotation players, so to speak, or even more in the welterweight division. Move to the flyweight division. Leung Na versus JJ Aldrich. My question is, can Aldrich turn things around? So Aldrich is one of these fighters that I qualify and I, I describe as a young veteran. So she turns 31 at the end of next month. Certainly not old, right? That's right in that wheelhouse where a bunch of fighters are in that championship mix. They, they reach that prime of their careers, and this is where we get the best years of them. But J.J. Aldrich has been a pro since November 2014. 17 fights in, most of that is against solid competition. It's been Invicta and the UFC with the ultimate fighter in between. It's been across two divisions. That shit takes its toll on you, and she's coming into this one on a two-fight skid. She got beaten by Aaron Blanchfield two fights back. Fine, no stress, we understand. These things happen in MMA, as Harry would say. She looked good in that fight before getting caught. Last time out, she got boxed up by Arian Lipsky. She gets a favorable matchup here. She should go out on Saturday and win this fight rather handily. But she struggled in those last couple. And so how this one goes on Saturday will tell us where she's at and what she has left going forward. I think she can and should still be a veteran presence in this division to face fighters as she has over these last two fights, like Blanchfield and Lipsky that are in their early to mid twenties, 
and working their way forward. But at a certain point, you got to win the fights and show that you still have that ability and command that presence and that attention in order to stay in that spot. Saturday's opener in the featherweight division, Sungwoo Choi versus Yarno Aarons. And my question is, can Choi avoid a firefight? So first and foremost, as I said the last time he stepped into the cage in 10 things, he was a, it's a Sung Wu Choi is fighting kind of deal. I don't think I need it tomorrow because we got enough other things, but we'll throw it out here. I love watching this dude fight. He's batshit crazy. He just goes out there and slings leather. His nickname Sting, throws big hands, all of that stuff. He has a real tendency to get sucked into brawls and fight wildly. He starts technical and has good success. And then it's just like, let me spam this left hook and see what happens and eschew all thoughts of defense. So a couple fights back, he had the illegal knee and then exhausted himself and got submitted by Alex Caceres. He had a sloppy back and forth with Michael Trezano last time out at Madison Square Garden that ended with Trezano knocking him out right before the horn at the end of the first round. Loads of fun to watch. Good size for the division. Good pop for the division. Working with the guys at Killcliffe FC. Fighting close to home in Singapore. He is South Korean. But this is one of those ones where like, you just need to stay out of your own way, man. Like this is a guy that beat Julian Arosa. And I know Julian Arosa isn't a world beater, but Julian Arosa is a good fighter. He is a good, serviceable UFC featherweight. And Choi blew him out, knocked him out, dead cold. Jarno Aarons lost his debut last year in Paris to William Gomi. It was a majority decision. It was a close competitive fight. I think both guys were dealing with some nerves. Aaron's hasn't fought very much strong competition to this point in his career. So I do think there is opportunity for Choi to go out and get a victory and halt this three fight slide that he's on as I spit at my camera, but it's going to take him getting out of his own way and not getting into a firefight in order to do so. That's the questions. Those are the questions. One question for UFC Singapore. We are done. We are through. We already did all the good stuff off the top. One bone, IG, Twitter, Substack. Sign up for it. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you're having a good week. Hope this has gotten you a little bit more excited for Saturday. Back tomorrow with 10 things. Two piece on Friday. Haven't decided yet whether we're doing a picks and plays or we're doing two shows. Might stick to the picks and plays. Worked out well last week. Touch on that when we get there on Friday. Until then, take care of yourselves, take care of one another, and we'll talk to you soon.